Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're in this series, the book of Acts, and of course, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the beginning of this book, and, and I won't go too, too much, but I encourage you, go back and listen to the podcast. Every week is going to build on itself, so if you've missed last week or the week prior, go back and listen, because that way you'll understand kind of the context behind this. We're talking about this book that is really the history of the church, the beginning of this movement that changed the world as we know it. And we talked about how this book was written by a man named Luke who actually wrote the gospel of Luke, the book of Luke um, that talked about the life of Jesus and how Jesus' ministry began in that day and time but continued through his people in the book of Acts. And so I encourage you, go back and listen to that. And um, last week we talked about the beginning of the church, the actual birthing of the church, the birthday of the church. And we talked about this day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit, God sent his Holy Spirit and poured it out on a group of 120 people and formed not only a new community, but his church, his people. And we talked about, if you missed last week, you missed the fun week. And so we talked about how the people prayed, how they spoke in tongues and people from all over the world, nations of the world were there for this feast, the festival of Pentecost. And they heard them speaking in this tongue and all of these different languages heard what these men and women were saying in their own language. This was a miracle. There were many miraculous signs that were happening and taking place with this. They were, it would said fire or would look like fire, clothing tongues of fire on top of their heads. How many of y'all would like to see that? That would be pretty interesting. Um, but then there was a, a mighty rushing wind, which sounded like a mighty rushing wind that filled the whole place where they were. And then they began to speak in this tongue. And we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like, what that means. And let me just tell you this, and we're gonna, you're going to see this all throughout the book of Acts. God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And not only does he want to fill you with his Holy Spirit, he wants to baptize you with his Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what that means, go back, listen to that podcast, and we'll explain it pretty clearly. But God wants us, not just so we can have some fun, cool church experience and people do cartwheels in church, And as I said last week, if you run in this church, we will tackle you. Because we want things to be done decent and in order. But God still wants to fill us with his power so that we can be a witness for him. That's what that exists for. It is for greater intimacy with God. It's all of those things. It's to be filled with God. But his power in our lives is not for us. It is for others so that we can be a witness for him. And so anyway, last week was a, was a great week, but I want to dive right back into it. We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. This is what it says. They stood there amazed and perplexed. Who is the day? The they are the nations of the world that had gathered. Because they came to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, the Feast of Pentecost. 
And while they're there, that's when this happened. And they're watching these people, 120 of them, speaking in this language that there's no way all of them can understand what they're saying. But they do. Because it was a miracle from God. So they're perplexed and they're hearing this and they're wondering what's going on. This is what it says. It says, what can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. So the people asked, what can this mean? Another way of saying this might be, what is this? What is happening? What's going on? That guy's from Egypt and he understands what they're saying. That guy is from Crete and he understands what they're saying. I'm from wherever and I understand what they're saying. This is weird. What is happening? What is this? The title of my message this morning is This Is That. Everybody say, This Is That. Let me tell you what that is. This is that. How many of you have ever had a moment when you didn't really know what was going on in life, but somehow God speaks to you and all of a sudden it just brings clarity to what's happening in your life? There are those moments where you're like, what is going on, God? I don't understand why this is happening. And all it takes is one moment. You open up your Bible, you start reading, and all of a sudden it's like God goes, this is that. You want to know what that is? This is that. God, I don't know why this is happening. Ah, now I see why this is happening. God, now I see what you're doing. I love the Bible because the Bible has just unique, the Bible is a living document. It is alive. That means that you can read this book and it makes sense to you. And then 20 years later, you're still reading this book and you're still being blown away and new things are being revealed to you because it is a living word. I've been serving Jesus now for 24 years. I'm not gonna tell you I'm 40. I tell you every week, so I'm not gonna say that I'm 40. I just happen to be older than 39. But I've been serving Jesus for, for 24 years and there are there's still times scriptures that I've read over and over and over where it just jumps off the pages and makes sense for my life because it's a living, breathing word. I mean, how many of you remember when you were first born again? And some of you are, are newly born again. And again, welcome to the family. But you remember that faith you had when you were first born again? Where it, you pull into a parking lot. You're like, God, I want the first parking spot closest to, and all of a sudden you're like, thank you, Jesus. There's a miracle. <laughs> right? You just believe God for anything in those moments. And when you're reading his word, it's just blowing you away. I want to encourage those who've been saved for a while, born again for a while. His word still has the power to blow you away. You never get to the place where you go, yeah, I know the Bible. Really? We never get to that place where there's not something that God wants to speak to us through this living, breathing book. There's moments where there's things, times that we misunderstand and we've been taught things that aren't necessarily true as well. One of the things that I, I take almost every opportunity I can, and it's not a great fun thing to hear, 
But I take the opportunity to make sure that you know if you're serving Jesus, the promises that some preachers may tell you that if you serve Jesus, everything in life will be perfect. You won't have any more problems. That's not true. That's a lie. As a matter of fact, Jesus even promised us you will have trouble in this life. Then he says, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In other words, I've gone before you and I've already overcome the things that you're going to face. And not only have I overcome them, but I'm going to be with you. See, the reason why I take time to say that is because some people, when you believe those types of lies, when things start happening that challenge you, you start wondering, where is God? Let me tell you, God didn't leave you. He's still there. He just never promised that you wouldn't have any issues. As a matter of fact, there's times when, truth be told, God has never disappointed me. Except for the time when I've presumed to know what he was going to do. When I've gotten presumptuous and I'm like, oh, well, God's going to do that. That's when I get disappointed. Or when I act like something that was not a promise to me is a promise to me and that thing doesn't come to pass. Well, where's God? He's still there. I just got it wrong. Are y'all with me this morning? So there's going to be those moments where we're asking, what is this? What is this? When we open up the Bible or the Holy Spirit speaks to us, that's when we understand this. Oh, I get it. This is that. This is that. Let's go back to this verse. So there's also a person in the crowd. There's always one who starts mocking. They see this miracle happen from God. And they start making fun of it. How many of you know, people always make fun of and mock what they don't understand or what makes them uncomfortable. Last week when we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there were probably some of you that were very challenged by that. Going, I don't know about that. Just stick around. Just keep letting God's word and the Holy Spirit show that to you. Let him reveal that to you. But for those of you who are like, ah, whatever. That would put you in this mocker category because I make no apologies for it because it's not my word, it's his. God said this through his word, so I, have no, I don't have to defend it. He defends his word. So they start saying, these guys are probably just drunk. We always try to make, we try to make rational sense out of this. They're, they're probably just drunk, that's all. And I love what happens next because the apostle Peter says this. This is amazing. Let me just go right to it. Verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Let me stop right there because something very significant is happening here that I don't want you to miss. The Bible says that Peter stepped forward. And not only did Peter step forward, he boldly stepped forward. Now, this is why this is so important. Because just a little over a month before this, a little over a month, he was denying even knowing Jesus for fear that he might be put in prison or killed. 
Jesus had gotten taken and gotten, excuse me, arrested by, by the Jewish people and by the Romans. And so Jesus is, is getting ready to go to the cross and they're, they're just asking people, do you know Jesus? And Peter said, I think I've seen you with this Jesus guy. And Peter's like, I don't know that guy. Come on, like some of y'all used to do in junior high school when you got in trouble of a friend of yours. Were you with them? Not me. I don't know what you're talking about. But he's like, I don't, I don't even know this man. And three times he denies knowing the son of God. Only to fast forward after getting filled with the Holy Spirit and seeing the resurrection of Jesus to be in the exact same city that arrested Jesus and to stand in front of all of those people and all the nations of the world and boldly preach. How many of you know this is not about how bold we are? It's about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God can make any of, God can give any of us the courage that we need to be a witness. This man was hiding the fact that he even knew Jesus. Now he's standing in front of the nations of the world telling them that he's a witness of Jesus. Don't miss that moment. That's so powerful. But then he goes on to say, listen, all of you, fellow Jews, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. In other words, he's saying, these people aren't Cajun. They're not getting drunk at 9 a.m. He says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In other words, he starts to make his case that you want to know what this is? This is that. He starts talking about this promise given by God through the prophet Joel. Now, there's a book in the Bible in the Old Testament called the book of Joel. And we don't know the exact dates of when this book was written, but we estimate that it was around 800 BC. Maybe a little bit, a little bit earlier than that, but around 800 BC. So almost a thousand years before this moment, the prophet Joel prophesies what's about what's happening right there. And Peter starts making a case for this. And his case is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord, and he uses common ground with them. He relates to them by using the Bible, by using the Old Testament Bible. There was no New Testament at this time because they were making the New Testament. They were living out the New Testament. So he went to the Old Testament, which they all agreed with and we all believe in. And he starts proving to them that Jesus is the Messiah and that what's happening right now has been prophesied by God a long time ago, almost a thousand years prior to this moment. And some people may say, well, I'll get to that in a moment. He's prophesying this, this moment where God's spirit would not just dwell in a temple, in a building, but would dwell inside of his people. See, like we talked about last week, up until that moment, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit had came on people, but the presence of God was thought to be in the the holy of holies in this place called the temple. And they would come to the temple, and this this was how serious this was. There were layers in order to get to the holy of holies. 
And there was a place inside of the, the temple, this Holy of Holies, that only one time a year a priest could walk in. And that place was thought to be so holy that when they walked in, this priest would literally bring, he would have a, a, a rope, excuse me, tied to his leg with a bell. So when he left his people, he'd consecrated himself that whole year to be the guy to go in there. And when he would walk into that room, if the bell kept ringing, they knew he was alive. But if the bell stopped ringing, they would think he had sin in his life and God killed him because he couldn't handle the presence of God and would drag his body out. They thought the presence of God only dwells here. But God was saying there will come a time where my presence will not just dwell in a building, but will dwell in my people. That's what Joel prophesied. And he did this 800 years, almost 1,000 years before this moment. What's important with this as well is, is that Peter, again, used, he grounded what was happening in the Bible. He made sure that he could prove what was happening here hap is, is in the Bible. How many of you know anything that we do as a church needs to be grounded in the Bible? And when I say church, I don't just mean our church, the church. Don't ever go to a place where I'm going to follow that pastor because they're really cool and they seem like they're a celebrity. That won't last. Pastors are not celebrities. We're servants of God and servants of the people. Or I'm going to go to this church because they have this really, really, really cool, like this thing is happening there. There's a buzz there, like this really, really happening. If it's grounded in the Bible, go for it. But if it's not grounded in the Bible, I don't want somebody's opinion. I want God's word. I want what God's word says. I don't want to hear somebody say, well, this isn't really in the Bible, but God showed me. That's dangerous ground. That is dangerous ground. I believe like, I'm, advocate, I'm an advocate for the gift of prophecy in the body of Christ today. I really am. But any prophecy that comes forward better be grounded in the Bible. If it is not, don't you dare receive it. Don't you dare receive it. It's also important for us to know this, that when the Holy Spirit came, I want you to see this. The Holy Spirit filled Peter and Peter starts to preach, and he preaches something that glorifies Jesus. Why am I telling you that? Because the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. If you see the Holy Spirit in operation in somebody's life, if it's really the Holy Spirit, it's going to glorify Jesus. In other words, the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, not to glorify you. There's so many people who, God called me, Pastor, I got a gift. If you really have a gift, you don't have to tell everybody. If you tell everybody, what you have is not much. See, you let the, the, the job of the Holy Spirit is never to make a person great. The job of the Holy Spirit is always to make the name of Jesus great. Always. Always. 
Use our, use your gift. Listen, that doesn't mean that it wasn't a gift from God and it doesn't mean it's not being operated for God. But sometimes we as people, we get it wrong. And we, we start glorifying ourselves with the gift that God gave us. And that was never God's intention. That is not the role of the Holy Spirit. It's to glorify Jesus. Pastor, I got a big old gift. Y'all need to use my gift in this church. If God shows us we need to use your gift, we will. Otherwise, you can take your gift right on out this door and go somewhere else. Was that too much? Can y'all not handle that? It's too much. Verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my... He's quoting the, the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. It's an amazing thing. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This was said almost a thousand years before this moment and almost 3,000 years before the moment that we live in. And so some of you may say, well, pastor, the last days, this was 2,000 years ago. You're right. But let me explain that to you. He lived in, the prophet Joel lived in a different time. And in that time, like, as I mentioned before, God's presence dwelled in a temple. And the sacrifices that we had to make to be right with God were made by animals. And there was a constant killing of animals to not even do away with our sin, to just cover our sin. Until the moment that Jesus came and literally split history in half. I want you to see that. He literally split. The, the calendars that we have are marked by when he came into the world and when he died. He changed everything. We live in a different day than the day that they lived in. And we do live in the last days. Now, I even believe that we're in the last days of the last days. But this is a completely different time frame. And, keep, and remember this, the kingdom of God in that time was thought to be Israel. Israel is the kingdom of God. But in the last days, God's kingdom is being spread throughout all of the world. And the kingdom right now is forcefully advancing everywhere on the globe. These are different days than his days. These are the last days before Jesus comes back and takes his people to be with himself. That's why these are the last days. And he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy and they'll see visions and, and dream dreams. Now, I love this. It says that the old men will dream dreams and the young men We'll see visions. Men, are you dreaming or are you seeing visions? Some of y'all are too tired to even answer that question. We'll keep going. Then he talks about these wonders in the heavens and the earth. These things that 
are just wonders for us to see. How many of you know we have seen some wonders? We've seen some of these things come to pass, but they have not fully come to pass yet. We've seen some of them, and even in their day, and I'll get to this in a moment, even in their day, they did see some of these things come to pass. So we're in the last of the last days. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We hear that so much, and it just becomes white noise. But in their day, I want to take you back there for a minute. In their day, what do you mean everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? You're supposed to be a Jewish person if you're going to be saved. Wait, everyone who calls on the, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If, listen, we would not even be included in this had it not been for the blood of Jesus. You would have had to come and, and become a part of Judaism and be circumcised. Every man said, ouch. In order to even be a part of the Jewish society. And even then, it, you, if you weren't living perfectly right, you might not be right. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22, Peter comes back and he says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Now, Peter was making a few different points here, and I won't go into all of them, but I'll just say this. The first point he says is, is just in the name, Jesus the Nazarene. You may not notice, but that name Jesus was a pretty popular name at that day and time. Because Jesus was a derivative, it's a Greek, it was the Greek derivative of the Jewish name Joshua or Yeshua, which means the Lord saves so there were a lot of different Jesuses in that day. So Peter says, the Jesus of Naz the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth is the one I'm talking about. Not your cousin Jesus down the road who lives on Jerusalem Avenue in Four Corners. <laughs> Jesus the Nazarene. And I mentioned last week how, how the Galileans were looked at kind of as like the deep, deep, deep wood Cajuns. Like they don't talk right. The people from Nazareth were looked at in a similar vein. That's why they even asked, can anything good come out of, that, out of Nazareth? Yet Jesus, the son of God, came from a place that nobody wanted to live. And he goes on, God, he said, God endorsed Jesus by doing these miracles. Can I just tell you, we use the words miracle way too loosely. Jesus really did miracles. A baby is born, and we go, oh, that's a miracle. That ain't true. That's not true. That happens every single day. Babies are born every day. And we don't mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to call us out and call us liars when we say that, but when you see an ugly baby and you say, oh, how cute, that's a lie. That's a lie. How many of y'all ever done that, to be honest, in church? You see the baby, you're like, oh, how precious. That's your safe answer. How precious. I don't know why I'm getting off on all this. Verse 23. But God knew what would happen. 
And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. That's you and I. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. How's that for a message? And Peter does this great job of mixing the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. What do I mean by that? God's sovereignty being that God is in control of everything, and he is. And he knows everything, and he does. And some people lean so far on that side that they neglect man's responsibility. And Peter does a great job of putting them both together and go, God is sovereign. This was his plan, but you have your part to play in that plan. And he says, you killed him. You're the ones who stood in front of Pontius Pilate and yelled, crucify him. Happened in the same city. Little over a month before that moment, some of those same people who were in that crowd were yelling, crucify him. And here they are, not knowing what they did. I'll tell you what they did in a moment. Church, can I just tell you something? Peter told them the truth about the sin in their life. He told them the truth about it. And sometimes we let the pressures of culture and society stop us from telling the truth. And hear me, please hear me. I'm not talking about your political opinions. That's not even on my brain. Some of you are way too vocal about your politics and not so vocal about your God. So don't, don't try to put my words into your little political context. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the pressures of the society to get us to shut up about Jesus. Don't you tell people about that. Don't you make, that, that may make people feel uncomfortable. Listen, telling people the truth about where they stand with God is loving. Hear me. Telling people the truth about where they stand with God is loving. Because one day, those same people that we were loving to will stand before a holy God. And they will have to answer for the life that they lived. I don't want to be the person who says, God, I just never told them because I I felt uncomfortable. One day they will stand before God. That is loving. They may not see it that way at the time, but it is loving. I'm not advocating, some of y'all are just jerks, so I'm not advocating for being a jerk. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. We do it because we love people. It's the same thing when you're a parent. Your kids don't, you don't always feel loving when you're disciplining your kids, but you do it because you love them and you want the best for them. It's the same thing when we tell people the truth about the gospel. We tell people the truth about Jesus. Verse 24, Peter's talking, still talking. He says, but God raised him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. Saying this was the sign that God gave you. God raised this Jesus who you killed from the dead. So if you're wondering what this is, this is that. What's happening right now was what was prophesied by Joel. 
What's happening right now is you missed the Messiah that you've been waiting for for all this time. Because the Jewish people were waiting. When is the Messiah going to come? When is the Messiah coming? If you ask a Jewish person today, they'll still tell you the Messiah is going to come. They missed when he came. Can you imagine your grandparents and your grandparents' grandparents and their grandparents all talking about this man who's one day going to come and be this great king. And he comes and you miss him. And not only do you miss him, but you kill him. That's the message that Peter was telling them. Everything that you've built your society and your culture on, on waiting for this moment, and it's come, and you missed it, and you killed him. He continues to build his case in verse 25. King David said this about him. He goes, he goes to King David, who everybody loved. Everybody loved King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And it was promised that out of his line would come the Messiah, this great king one day. David said this, I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. Listen to this, verse 27. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or, or allow your holy one to rot in a grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. So Peter's quoting David, and he goes on to say this, verse 29, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David was not referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. He goes back all of these years before and says, David, who everybody loves and trusts, told you about this man. And he told you he would not die. Or he would die, excuse me, but he would not rot in the grave. He told you this was going to happen, but you didn't listen. David, and he says, David wasn't talking about himself. Why? He did. His tomb is right over there. Y'all know where it's at. So he couldn't have been talking about himself. He was talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus. Verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. He starts making his point. He starts getting more and more plain and simple and clear. God raised Jesus, who you killed, from the dead. And we are his witnesses. And I won't go into all of it in the next few verses, but he, he quotes David again from another psalm, Psalms 110. And he starts making a big deal about this. Verse 36, he's quoting that psalm. I skipped a few verses. You can go back and read them, but for the sake of time. David also said this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. David didn't say that, but he quotes David. And he comes back around and says this as plain and simple as possible. God made Jesus to be both Lord and Messiah. What does Messiah mean? 
Messiah means Christ. It's the same thing. One's Greek, one's Hebrew. Christ, Messiah, same thing. It means the anointed one. The one that God himself anointed and set as the king of all Israel and the king of the world. That's who Jesus was. He tells them plainly, you killed him. You had the chance and you killed him. And he just lays it out there. Jesus was what you you were waiting for. Again, I love the boldness of Peter. Because again, just a little while ago, he was hiding. Now he's telling all of these people about what they did. He's making it as plain and as simple. And I want you to see how they respond to this message. But verse 37 says this, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We, 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 we don't, what do we do? What are we supposed to do with this? I, I, I didn't know. I thought maybe I was confused. I'm not sure. What do I do? And you don't get to that place unless someone shows you the truth. You don't get to the place of change unless someone shows you what needs to change in your life. So they heard the truth and that caused change. You know, I, I've heard my pastor say this before and it's something I never forget him saying. He said, when I tell people the truth, there's a 60% chance that they might leave. But if I don't, there's a 100% chance that they'll never change. Be willing to hear truth. And again, please hear me. I'm not talking about my truth. I'm not talking about my opinions. My opinions mean nothing. But God's word means everything. So if God's word can point out something in your life that needs to change, then please trust me, for your benefit, it needs to change. It is for your good that it needs to change. He loved them enough to tell them the truth. And again, he did it in love. He did it in love. When you encounter God, sometimes in God's presence, you're encouraged and you feel uplifted and you're ready to go and you're like, God, thank you for the strength I need today. Other times when you encounter God, you see how sinful you really are. Sometimes when you get in God's presence, you see how holy he is and how unholy you really are. Sometimes we think less less of ourselves when God has created us in his image, but sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Can I just tell you, I don't care how fine you think you are, you were made out of dirt. I'm all that. You're, you're some dirt. <laughs> That's what you were made out of. I don't say that by any means to insult you. It's just to bring us back to the reality. We need him. Even on our best day, we could never be holy enough. But he, when we get around him, we see our need for his love, for his forgiveness, for his mercy. That's why we don't go around and just point the finger at everybody. I'm talking about speaking the truth. That doesn't give us license to go out and be like, you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you need to repent. We come first to him. God, where do I need to change? What needs to change in me? There are those moments in prayer 
Well, I have the greatest times with God. And in those moments in prayer where I go, God, was that okay? And in those moments where I'm minding my own business and he tells me that wasn't okay. What do we do in those moments? We ask him to forgive us and we see how holy he is and how unholy we are. Peter answers their question. They're asking, what do I do? Verse 38, he says this. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. What does repent mean? And what does it mean? It means to go in the opposite direction that you're going in. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me clear up something real quick. First thing he says is repent. Not be baptized first, repent first. See, you can be baptized, and I've said it many times, you can go into the water a sinner and come up a dry, a wet one, right? So it's not the baptism that says, what it says right here, for the forgiveness of sins, that word for, think about, this is one of the best definitions or, or explanations of this that I've ever heard. Imagine if someone is getting a medal of honor for bravery, that word for, for bravery. It doesn't mean they're getting a medal to make them brave. It means they're getting a medal because they were brave. When we're getting baptized, we're giving an outward expression or a sign of what has already happened to us when we repented of our sins. So we're not, put, not putting the cart before the horse. Verse 39, this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, <clears throat> excuse me, all who, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, surely urging, excuse me, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The, those who believed Peter said, excuse me, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. What an amazing day. The church gives birth with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on 120 people. And in one day, a church of 120 goes to 3,120. One day. One day. And he also tells them, he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Without going into all of this, but history tells us that that same temple that those people worship in the whole book of Acts, we're gonna get more into this later, is God reversing what they saw as the place of worship and where God dwelled into God's spirit going from that temple to this people. And he says, save yourselves from this crooked, perverse generation. Well, what happened to that crooked, perverse generation? History tells us in 70 AD, that temple was utterly destroyed by the Romans. 78 day was a big year in the history of the church. That place they worshiped God at was leveled to the ground and destroyed. And those people, many of those, those Jewish people died. What was happening there? God's judgment was coming. So Peter was warning them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Follow the king that you missed. And they did. And I'm, as I'm ending, I'm going to read verse 42. I want you to see their response. 
All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now, I won't dive too much into this because I'm, gonna, I'm closing. But we did an entire series called Foundations on many of these things. You can go back and listen to the podcast on that talks about these things. But I want you to see this. How did they respond to this message, to the gospel being preached to them? And that word gospel means good news. Well, Pastor, that didn't sound like good news. It was good news once they understood the bad news. See, it's not good news whenever you only hear, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And you're thinking, well, I know that, duh. What you need to hear is God loves you even in spite of how sinful you are. Now, he loves you, but your sin has separated you from him and you are going to face condemnation. Well, Peter was condemning them. Peter wasn't condemning them because they were already condemned. You've got to see that. They were, their sin condemned them. But he was giving them the opportunity to come out of it and to be saved and to be forgiven. How did they respond? They devoted themselves. One thing as a pastor that I really want for our church and for God's kingdom is when someone is born again, that they understand they're not just saying some words and getting like, here's your fire insurance ticket. The words that we say after the end of our services are just words if your life doesn't mean them. You can pray that prayer. And if some of you have, have raised your hand. I felt guilty because I went to the club last night, so I'm going to get saved again. I felt guilty because I, I beat my kids too harshly, so I'm going to get saved again. You only get born again once. You, you can repent at any moment and God will forgive you. But when it comes to that moment, they, there was fruit with their repentance. How do I know? Because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching which was the word of God. See, it was a change. It wasn't just, I prayed the prayer and now I'm gonna go home and do exactly what I was doing before, but now I'm saved. No, no. There was fruit with their repentance and they devoted themselves to the word of God. They devoted themselves to fellowship with one another. They surrounded themselves with the believers. They started letting go of all of those people that were holding and pulling them back in the center. That doesn't mean you run away from all your friends, but if your friends are pulling you away from Jesus, you need to create some gap. You need to create some distance. They devoted themselves to one another. They shared meals with one another. They did life with one another. They received communion together with one another. And communion is not just holding out, handing out crackers and juice. It is a fellowship as a body with God together. It's a special moment. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. What was that? They devoted themselves to intimacy with God. See, when you get born again, there's fruit with your repentance and it leads it changes the way that you live is it a free gift from God you better believe it you could never earn it nothing we could you could ever do could earn it God loves you so much that he gave his son for you and he loves you enough to change your life the way you live so that your life can reflect him 
I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, I pray that our lives would reflect this message. As we've heard the gospel, if we've heard the truth, the good news, God, that rescued us, I pray that we would live our lives as people that respond by devotion. When we see that this is that in the Bible, when we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and we hear that this is that, that's what you're doing. That's what you're pointing out. That's what you're saying to me. God, I got it now. That we would respond with absolute devotion to you, to your word, to your people. Thank you for who you are. If you're here this morning with your eyes closed and your heads bowed and you say, Pastor, I need that gospel. I need that gospel. I need that good news. I want to tell you, we tell our church this every week, but what we're talking about is being what the Bible calls born again, becoming a new creation. God, God didn't send Jesus to, to die to make you a more moral person or to make you a better version of yourself. He came so that the old you can die and you can become a new creation in him. That's what he wants for you, to be born again. How do I do that, pastor? It's as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? The truth, that I'm a sinner, that I'm far away from God. There's legitimately sin in my life, and that sin separates me from a holy God. And B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for that sin so that he could wash all of those things away. Even your darkest moment, he can wash away. And see, you confess what? That he's the Lord of your life, which means I'm devoting myself to him and to follow him. So that's you this morning. You say, that's me, Pastor. I want to be born again. Well, no one looking around. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand so I can know who I'm praying with. And then all of us are going to pray a prayer of surrender to God. And if you mean that, he's going to meet you right there where you're at today. And you're going to be saved. You're going to be born again. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Lift it up. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. See, dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God and that on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go and you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.